Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Jesus, the King Who Came to Die, a study of the Gospel of Mark. This dynamic, fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah, God's Son, the King, who came to suffer and die to save His people. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. We're going to be looking this week at Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. It's a shorter section, but a really important section in Mark's Gospel. Mark 3, 31 to 35, and you can follow along on the screen in your booklet. also encourage you to, you can have your Bible open. We are going to refer to a little bit earlier section, and I'll explain why in a few minutes, uh, looking back at verses 20 and 21. So Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35, hear the word of your God. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mothers and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water? Anybody ever heard that? Uh, I've heard it. I've actually had it used before. And, and this week I did something that was a little interesting. I went back and said, well, I wonder when exactly was that phrase first used and what did it mean? And I discovered there's actually an argument as to when it was first used and what it meant. So the way I've always heard blood is thicker than water means that family relations, your, your blood relatives, are stronger than anybody you're related to through baptism or through anything else. That, that there's nothing as important as family, even some people, I, I've had it used this way, your blood relatives, your kin, are closer than even your spouse. Now, what I, that was one of the ways that it's used. But there's another way that some scholars argue it originally meant, which is actually the opposite. That actually people who were united through blood covenant are actually closer than those who are united through the water of birth, so to speak. That you would be united through a blood covenant and it's even closer than your very brothers and sisters. And scholars argue because it's been used both ways and they're not sure which way uh, was actually the original way. If you get enough scholars in a room, they'll argue about everything, right? So, so they did this, but either way the phrase is used, it brings up the issue and the dilemma that we're dealing with in today's text. Jesus is here having to deal with what actually is our deepest priority, what actually is the deepest relationship that we as disciples of Jesus have in our life. So we're gonna be looking today at the family of Jesus, but we're gonna see it used in two very distinct senses. We begin by looking at the biological family of Jesus. In verse 31, we see at the beginning of our text that Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and they're standing outside, and they had to send somebody in. So the picture is they arrive in Capernaum. Remember I said last week they probably are coming from Nazareth, so they've been on a journey, 
they get there and it's as bad as what they had heard and feared which is there's a huge crowd around Jesus so big a crowd they can't even get in the house so they have to kind of send word in to say hey Jesus your mom and your brothers are outside waiting for you now before we move on we need to kind of get our mindset back and what would have been the mindset of the original people reading Mark's gospel and that is the importance of family in the scripture in Jewish culture and even in other cultures family was so important and so our mindset as an original reader of this gospel would be to expect there to be a quick response from Jesus that mom and brothers are outside now why I say it's so important for example in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 right there in the heart of the Decalogue God says honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you so make no mistake how important this is when God boils his whole law down his moral law and says I'm gonna break it down to ten commands or ten words uh, is, is the way that the phrase is actually used in Hebrew one of those ten is honor your father and mother and make no mistake even as you go through the the order of importance there shockingly this is before do not murder do not commit adultery do not steal okay don't lie don't covet this is before all of that it is so central and this command is repeated over and over and over again in the Old Testament so it's not surprising that the culture had developed uh, and it was firmly entrenched in Jewish culture you were expected to give priority to the call of your immediate family and in particular your parents and we don't need to wonder well maybe this is one of the things that Jesus is saying well that's not really moral law that's just ceremony and we'll set it aside Jesus himself actually critiqued the Pharisees we're gonna see this later in Mark's gospel because the effect of their traditions was actually setting aside this command and Jesus said no the command is so central if you notice in Mark chapter 7 verses 9 to 13 Jesus said to them you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions for Moses said honor your father and your mother and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death the one is out of the Ten Commandments the other one's out of another passage uh, in the Pentateuch and he says but you say that a man if a man says to his father or mother whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is Korban that is a gift a gift that's devoted to God then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother thus you nullify the Word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that so when Jesus is wanting to argue and say the effect of your tradition that you claim is helping you keep God's Word is actually doing the exact opposite it's nullifying the Word of God and let me give you one of the most extreme examples I can do you're supposed to honor your father and mother and the effect of your tradition is to actually dishonor your father and mother you've nullified the very Word of God so Jesus here is clearly saying look what you would have expected is true and the the scripture the the New Testament repeats it Paul in Ephesians also repeats this command so family is very important in scripture I'm not gonna take any more time to deal with it this morning because we're gonna see Jesus do something unusual in a minute but we have to have that context 
I am going to actually talk about it more in after hours. If you tune in on Tuesday, you can hear a little bit more about family and maybe even answering a few practical questions about how do we try to honor our parents? What if, what if parents are not believers or our spouse is not a believer? How do we try to walk through these things? We'll talk about that more there. But I've brought it up this morning because Mark's just assuming we're coming from that mindset that we would believe how important family is. And so what we would expect Jesus to say when he hears mom and your brothers are outside, what do we expect the next line to tell us? Oh, crowd, dismiss, mom and my brothers have showed up. That's what we should expect to be the next words. But as we're going to see, that's not the next words. And that's because there's actually a problem with Jesus' family. So what we read is, and I want to remind us what has gone on. Mark has already alerted us to this. As I mentioned, if you go back to verses 20 and 21, uh, we saw part of this last week because he begins their journey there and then he completes it in our passage today. So Jesus entered a house, a crowd again gathers around him. He and his disciples were not even able to eat. And we're told when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him to seize him. They were, they were going to grab him, uh, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, somebody help me with that. Is that do, do they, are they saying something positive about Jesus here? In fact, this so scandalized some of the scribes, when they were copying Mark's gospel centuries later, they started dropping that phrase out. Eh, I'm not comfortable writing that down, <laughs> that somebody thought Jesus was out of his mind. And I'm really not comfortable to think that Mary the mother of our Lord was thinking that, but that's what Mark tells us. They think that Jesus is out of his mind. And there's another thing that's going on here. There's three different ways Mark is alerting us to the problem, but you have to pay kind of careful attention because you can skip by that line real quick and forget about it by the time you get down, but it's there. The second thing is Mark uses a literary device that we're going to see several times in the gospel, and that is he'll start a story and then stop it. He'll do another story, and then he'll resume the first story. And when he does that, this sandwich that he's creating, he's saying, you have to read the two stories together. Make no mistake. So, so I, I could have just waited and brought the second story up, but then you might think that I've shifted to a different topic. By starting the story, doing it, stopping it, and then doing another story, and then resuming that first story, I'm telling you, read the two together they're making the same point. So notice, we're told that the family has heard about Jesus, he's at it, and we're given a tip that they think Jesus is out of his mind. And then he shifts to the scribes. And what were the scribes doing? Were they worshiping Jesus? Were they furthering Jesus' mission? In fact, you remember they said, hey, this guy's doing what he's doing because he's filled with Satan. Mark is telling us there's more than one way to oppose Jesus. The scribes are opposing Jesus, and sad to say, his family is doing the same exact thing. They may not think he's filled with Satan, but they don't think he's in his right mind. They may not be trying to kill him, but they are trying to dissuade him from doing the work that God is doing. They're not going there to have a discussion. They're going there to take charge of him and to stop him from doing uh, 
what the Father has given, from doing obedience to his Father. So make no mistake, there's more than one way to oppose Jesus. The scribes are doing it their way, but Mark is presenting because he started the story and then he finishes it later. He's saying, read these together. They're both doing the same thing. And then there's a third way that Mark does this. Notice we're told there that the family arrived. They're standing outside. They sent someone in and a crowd's running and they're told, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Some translations have the word seeking. This word is used, uh, it, whether it's look, look or seek, however you translate it, the Greek word behind that is used 10 times in Mark's gospel. It is never used positively. The closest it is to being positive is in Mark chapter 16, verse 6, on the day of the resurrection, when the women come to the tomb and they're looking for the dead body of Jesus and the angel says, why, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He told you he was going to be raised. That's as good as it gets. Here's some of the other examples. The Pharisees and the scribes are seeking Jesus to put him to death. Judas is seeking a way to betray Jesus over to the scribes and the Pharisees. A wicked and an adulterous generation seeks a sign. Jesus says, but none's going to be given to it. It's always negative. So this is not, I'm seeking Jesus in a good way. It's always negative. And Mark here has gone ahead and tipped it and said, and that's exactly what the family is doing. So in a threefold way, he's let us know there's a problem going on here. And if we read the other Gospels, later on, John actually tells us in John chapter 7 very clearly that Jesus' brothers kind of mocked him. They thought he was kind of a glory hound seeking his own glory. They did not believe in him. Now, the good news is his brother James later becomes one of the greatest of the apostles. So he does later come to believe in Jesus. But at that moment, he does not believe in him. And even here, Mary is even apparently struggling. So I'm saying all that to say Mark is giving us some clues. You got to read what Jesus is saying in light of that fact. This isn't the full scope of what Jesus would say about family, but in this instance, it is what Jesus is going to respond with. So what is his response? And now we'll, we'll look at the other family of Jesus. So Jesus gives a shocking reply. Given everything we know in Scripture, we would assume he's going to say, okay, everybody go. Mom, brothers, come on in. So glad to see you. Not what happens. Jesus asks this penetrating question, which we again should not be surprised by. If you're paying attention to Mark's gospel, Jesus is always going to come back with a question. And so the question, when he hears, hey, your mother and brothers are outside, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Now, this is not because Jesus is not in his right mind. See, you are really confused. You don't even know who your mother and brothers are. Now, he's getting the people to say, no, I need you to ask a more penetrating question. You think my deepest bonds are with my biological family. I have a question for you. Who are my real family? Where are my deepest bonds? Where are the deepest bonds? loyalties that I have. And notice he answers the question. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, him, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, again, 
He knows he's got biological mother and brothers outside. But Jesus is saying, make the mistake, this is my family. And he even goes on in verse 35 and says that the ones who are the family of Jesus are the ones who obey the will of God. And so notice the contrast here in the way Mark's telling us the story between the two families. The biological family is where? Outside, far away. Where is the, the true family Jesus is talking about? seated right around him. The biological family thinks Jesus is out of his mind. The disciples are convinced Jesus is wisdom itself, <laughs> speaking to them. The biological family is trying to stop Jesus from teaching. The disciples are sitting at his feet to hear Jesus teach. The biological family wants to stop Jesus from ministering and doing God's will. The disciples want to see Jesus accomplish the ministry God has given him. Look at the way Mark has presented it. There could not be a clearer contrast between these two aspects of family. And so Jesus is here teaching us that there are bonds and loyalties that are deeper than even the bonds and loyalties due to a biological family. Now hear me, again, I'm going to talk today and after hours, biological family is really important. So, so please don't, don't run out of here and think, you know, oh, I'm calling my parents and tell them I don't love them, Okay. Not what we're supposed to do, okay? We're supposed to honor mom and dad, okay? Tell him my brother, he can, you know, go wherever. No, that's not what we're called to do. But Jesus is saying, make no mistake, you have a deeper loyalty than your family. Your deepest loyalty is me. Your deepest loyalty is the kingdom. Your deepest loyalty is obeying the will of God. And so notice Jesus defines that in verse 35. Who's, who's the true family? Whoever does God's will <clears throat> is my brother and sister and mother. And notice there he adds in even sister, even though his sisters aren't outside apparently because probably would not have been appropriate in their cultural context. But Jesus says, I want you to make sure. It is also interesting, what, what family relation is not there? Father, why is that? No one's his father but God the Father, okay? And he actually says, you know, don't, don't call anyone on earth father uh, in, in that sense. So, so he's doing that. But notice what he's saying is the true family of Jesus is not marked by physical relation. It's not even familiarity with Jesus. How do you know the true family of Jesus? They do the will of God. So, see, there are people sitting in the circle around Jesus that may be there out of curiosity. They may be the unbelieving crowd. That, that's not who marks his family either. It's not that you run. In fact, Judas is sitting there, okay? Not the family of God because he's actually set against the will of God. So, for disciples, obeying the will of God trumps every other desire and every other loyalty in life. That's what it means to be a disciple. Every other desire I might have, every other loyalty I might have is trumped by my uh, loyalty, my obedience, my call to the will of God. And Jesus himself teaches this. We'll run into this again later in Mark's gospel, but I'm gonna pull up a verse, uh, verses out of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 10, hear what Jesus says. 
anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not this is hard okay it's just hard is not worthy of me verse 38 uh, i'm going to continue verse 37 anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me whoever finds his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it so notice here very clearly and again this is not we've wanted throughout church history say well this is for those who are moving on to a higher plane of discipleship is that what jesus is talking about no this is what it means to be a disciple and so he says disciples love and loyalty to jesus eclipses their love and loyalty for even their own family and he says disciples love and loyalty to jesus eclipses their own desires and dreams and when he's talking about bearing a cross bearing a cross means it's the end of life on my own thing i i had these desires i had these dreams i had this way i wanted to go but the will of god says no you're going another direction i have i i have things that i i say i mean in, in our modern parlance to be authentic this is who i am if the will of god says you are otherwise you are otherwise you follow the will of God. That's what it means to be a disciple. And a disciple's love and loyalty to Jesus eclipses their very life. They will abandon their own life to find true life in Jesus. I had debated this morning bringing up uh, as, as the introduction a, a woman named Perpetua and Felicity. It was two uh, young women who were martyred in the early church. And Perpetua's father sat there begging her to, to recant her faith because if she didn't, not only was she going to be martyred, but her young son was going to be martyred. And her answer is, there's no way. I will not do that. Jesus has been loyal and faithful to me. I will be loyal and faithful back to him. If this is the end of my life, it will be the end of my life so she's gone down in history because she actually made the right choice now thanks be to God none of us have had to make that particular choice here but make no mistake Jesus is telling you look clinging to this life to, to use the words of Jim Elliott uh, the, the, the missionary down uh, to the Warani people in, in Ecuador he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he will cannot lose see friends this life is going to end and jesus says make no mistake disciples recognize this life is temporal the life of the kingdom is eternal this life is of limited scope and value that life is eternal in its glory and value the best that this life has to offer falls far short of the most minimal reward of the kingdom do we do we recognize that see that's what he's saying so this is a radical call to discipleship but the glorious outcome is that Jesus himself becomes our family don't miss that there is a there's a cost that he's highlighting but notice what he says there in verse 35 whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister 
and my mother. And on judgment day, when we stand there, there's going to be nothing more that you're going to want than to have him say, you're my sister. You're my brother. You are the child of God. And that's what Jesus tells us. Notice in Hebrews chapter 2, 11 and 12, it's actually quoting from the book of Psalms. And it says, but the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Now we can read by that real quickly in Hebrews, but slow down and pay attention. Jesus has been made of our family. He has taken our humanity to himself, and he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Now, I can come up with lots of reasons why Jesus might be ashamed to take me as his brother regularly, and so can you if you are honest. But because you are part of his family, he says, I'm going to declare my name to you. You are my brother. You are my sister. And in fact, you gather together, I'm right here in the middle. I'm worshiping with you because you are my brother. You are my sister. You are my mother. We are worshiping our father. That is a glorious reality. And that's exactly what he is offering to us here and saying this. And when a disciple sees this, the cost drops away to nothing. It doesn't matter because I'm captivated by the vision of God. So what does this mean for us? How do we apply the word as we think through this, this short text? Number one, do I see the radical nature of Jesus' call? We, we just have to be clear, okay? There's no soft peddling this. Some people want to ignore these things, but we, we can't. This is, the, this is the value of teaching through a book of the Bible. I can't just, well, that, that sounds kind of tough. We'll just skip that passage. We need to hear this. Je Jesus didn't hesitate to proclaim this is what he means. Even a biological relationship with Jesus himself does not make one a follower or a disciple. Even his own brothers were not. They, they did not know who he was. And Jesus says that biological relationship does not privilege them. Um, he goes on and says, one has to respond to Jesus in personal repentance and faith and desire to obey. Okay, and doing the will of God does not mean we do it perfectly because none of us do. But it means there's an orientation in my life now that by the grace of God, I want to obey the will of God. And Jesus says, that's what it means to be a disciple. And so I, I, I again, regularly want to remind us, it's, it's not up to whether your mom and dad believe, your brother or sister believe, your good friends with somebody who believes. It's not up to whether I'm even in the church every week. There are people right now in America that are doing exactly what I am doing, and they are not disciples. Standing up here and preaching the word of God does not make me a disciple. The question is, have I been born by the Spirit of God so that I went from one who does not want to obey the will of God to one who wants to obey the will of God? Has that happened in your life? Have you responded to the gospel in that way? Friends, you are not 
a believer. There's so much now that, you know, the number of Christians in America is dropping. No, it's not. People who formerly deceived themselves into thinking they were Christians are now waking up to the fact that they never were Christians. They just assumed before, well, I got to fill something out. and I'm not a shaman, so I guess I'm a Christian. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Okay? Do we recognize that? Do we understand this is a radical call? Because Jesus is telling us that the call to follow him eclipses even our closest relationships in Christ. And so at the heart of the gospel is the recognition that new life in Christ is the death of life on our own terms or the terms of the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, and I remind you, Bonhoeffer sealed these words with his own life. He was martyred. Okay, but here's what Bonhoeffer said. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first of the disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery to go back out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. And Bonhoeffer's writing these words because he was in a culture where it was like, well, everybody's a Christian. He was saying, do you, do you understand what it means? Have you heard what it really means to be a disciple? Because to be a disciple means I die to my own dreams. I die to my old life, my own way of wanting to live. Now, let, let me be clear. This does not mean when we, when we hear this call that that is a license for me to go out and be rude to other people, to try and offend them, to not give honor to whom it's due. See, the scripture tells us, no, you gotta give honor to the king, you gotta, you, you gotta give honor to those whom it is due, honor your father and mother. Uh, there is, the offense is the offense of the cross. Let me just say, when, when we talk about what Jesus is saying here, there's plenty of offense to go around. I don't need to add to it by my own offensive behavior, okay? But I need not hide, this is the reality. This world is a fading dream. The kingdom of darkness is here to suck your life out. It is always for our destruction. And therefore, this is the only path to true life. So, so. This is not, again, a thing, go out and offend as many people as we can for Jesus, okay? That's, that's not the goal. Um, but it is a clear call that our loyalty to Christ must trump every other loyalty in this world. Our identity as a disciple of Jesus has to eclipse every other identity. And hear me because we're hearing all of these in our culture right now. That means my identity as a disciple is more important than my ethnicity, than my gender, than my sexual desire or identity, my political affiliation, my nationality, or anything else that wants to define who we are. It's even more important than that I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> that was too loud of an amen, Kelby. I want to talk to you afterwards. We, we are being encouraged daily to break my tribe down to all this. Jesus is saying, no, I am your tribe. I am who you are. Disciple 
is who you are. And everything else, it's not even secondary. Disciples, the whole top ten. Everything else comes in after. Please hear, this is so radical what Jesus is saying because there was nothing more critical than biological family. But he's saying, but when that crosses me doing the will of God, no, these are my brothers and sisters. Okay? This radical call is not joining a club, taking up a hobby of learning more information about Jesus. It's a call to humbly embark on the journey of trying to obey the will of God in all of my life for the rest of my life. It's what it means to be a believer. And for every one of us, just like like Bonhoeffer said, for some people, that means you got to come out of the crowd. For Luther, it meant you had to go back into the crowd. But the key thing is, whatever the call is, Lord, I hear. Lord, I want to obey. So, is there any area that the Spirit's bringing to mind that's vying for supremacy as my, over my call as a disciple? And don't quickly say no, because the, the dummy up here has those areas. I find things that are challenging that, that are vying for supremacy, that are vying to shape my identity. And it can even be good things. Let me tell you, it's one of the, one of the dangers of my particular vocation. I can start to form my identity around being a pastor. That's not my identity. That's my vocation, but it's not my identity. What, what if all of that was removed and tomorrow... I've got to go sell insurance or cars or sweep the streets or do whatever tomorrow. Is that, is that going to rock my identity? Yeah. <laughs> For those online, Jim helpfully offered selling insurance might. That's true. See, it's a challenge for us. So, so when, we, when we are in these texts, is the Holy Spirit bringing anything to my mind? Because then's the time to say, Lord, I don't want that. I, I, I want to put that down. I, I don't want to have that do it. So hear the Spirit's call. Because, brothers and sisters, please hear me. Compromising our obedience will never bring joy for us, and it will never bring the people we love into living relationship with Him. See, we are told all the time, you gotta, you got to tone this down because that's gonna, it's not going to do anything. It's never going to help compromising obedience will never bring joy it will never accomplish the will of god so is the spirit speaking there and then secondly as we're going to come to the lord's table with this i, I want to make sure that we see the comforting nature of jesus's call i've spoken the hard part and that is hard but do you see the comforting nature there are people sitting here who may have been forsaken by their father and mother. You will never be forsaken by God. Never, ever. Your brother or sister, your close friends may push you away, but you are the family of Jesus. And the writer to Hebrews is the one that actually quotes and tells them because they are giving up everything. They are in danger of death. They, they have lost everything. And the writer to Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so if we have to go outside the city, we go outside the city. If we are rejected by others, we are accepted by Christ. 
We are, we are also, and this is a great comfort, we are given brothers and sisters in Christ. They are not perfect. Okay, we're not. We, we, we can have our own struggles, but they are a source of comfort and help as we walk out our life. I've had so many relationships through the years with people because we are brothers and sisters, because we all find ourselves sitting around the feet of Jesus, and we may have nothing else in common, but that alone has sustained relationship across time, across decades, and it's so important. We live in a culture that if you've had a relationship that's like lasted for two weeks, you're like doing something extraordinary. Because everything is so splintered and broken apart and everything is so centered on who I am and you're offending who I am. See, we can come here and we can find family forever. That is a gift of God. So I want to encourage us today as we're getting ready to come to the table, hear the Spirit's call. Whoever you are and whatever's going on in your life, the Spirit wants to speak to you. You are the brother or sister of Jesus. You are the son or daughter of God. You are loved. You are accepted. You are welcomed. You are embraced. You are the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal. The father has looked, the father has loved, the father has waited, and the father runs out and embraces. And, and hear the heart of the father that when, when I have realized how many ways I have fallen, how many ways I have broken, how many ways I have not obeyed, and I start my rehearsed speech to confess it, what is the father's word? I love you. You're mine. Kill the fatted calf. Get the ring. Put it on the finger. All I have is yours. Not because of anything we've done. Because of what Christ has done. Nothing better than knowing that Jesus says, you're mine. I am yours. You are mine. Family forever. Hear the Spirit's call, because otherwise this becomes some kind of, uh, this hard call. When we hear this, the, the price is worth it. It's worth everything, because we're given everything. So we're going to come down to the table, and this is our family table. We love, and particularly my wife loves, she's never in a happier place than when she's got all of the kids and grandkids. We can't really all fit at the table, but metaphorically, you understand what I'm saying. When we are in there and we're all together and we're seated around the table, that's a good place. That's, that's a happy place. Well, I want to tell you, this is our family table. This is where we are all seated together and we are the family of God. And we are here and we are welcomed and so I want to encourage you, come hear, and receive the love of God. This table is open to everyone who is part of God's family. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you say, I am seated around his feet, I don't even always understand, but I know he's in his right mind. He's speaking the words of life. If you believe that, this is your table. 
And I encourage you, come, hear, feel, receive the Father's love for you. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake, proclaiming the Lord's death is not just the fact that it happened, but what it has done for you and me. Come to the table. Lord, as we take this bread, symbol of your body, we are reminded that in your love for us as your people, you left the Father. You came to us, and you took our full humanity to yourself. And in your body, your commitment to us as your people was so great that you gave yourself over to death. Your body was pierced. It was broken. It was crushed. So that our sins might be forgiven and so that we might be restored to the Father's favor. So Lord, we give you thanks for your redeeming work through which we are the sons and daughters of God. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, as we take this cup, the symbol of your blood, we are reminded that your blood has sealed the covenant, securing our salvation eternally. Through your blood, we have been redeemed, and we are now your brothers and sisters, the sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, we thank you for your blood. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together. And as I do every week, I'm going to conclude and pray, and I'm going to be crying out for the Holy Spirit to fill us. And I want to remind us, please join in in prayer. This was not uh, juice and crackers. This is the Lord's sacrament. This was not some gray-haired dude reading an old book. This is God speaking to us as his people. But we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to make that life to us. So let's cry out to the Lord for his work among us. Lord, we humbly confess that we are often tempted by rival loyalties. But today we have been reminded who we are and whose we are. Because we are your sons and daughters, you have given us your spirit. And we ask now that you fill us with the spirit anew. When the enemy tempts us, remind us of the price paid to bring us into your family. 
when the enemy tries to make us despair, telling us that we are forsaken and abandoned by God. Lord, may we hear the Spirit's voice reminding us that we are the children of God. Lord, when suffering comes our way, may we hear the Spirit's voice telling us that as we share in the sufferings of our Lord Jesus, so we will share in His eternal glory. Lord, when we feel powerless and poor, may we hear the Spirit's voice telling us that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill these willing vessels so that our love for our Lord Jesus wells up, so that our eyes are turned to Him until all else fades from view. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, do these things in us, we ask in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And God's children say, Amen. Amen. Receive now the blessing and benediction. This is from Romans chapter 8. Brothers and sisters, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry, Abba, Father. And may the Spirit testify with your spirit that you are God's children. If you are children, then you are heirs. You are an heir of God. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. If you indeed share in his sufferings, in order that you may also share in his glory. You are blessed with every blessing of God. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.